Hey, welcome to I Used to Be a Therapist podcast. I'm so glad you joined me today. We're taking a little break from our series, The Transformation Project, and doing a bonus episode that I am so excited about. Even though this isn't part of The Transformation Project, the subject we're talking about today is vital to any transformation that you want to make in your life. Today, I'm sharing an interview that I did with Reverend Andy Johnson. Andy is the pastor of the Grove Community Church in Independence, Oregon. My husband and I started attending the church a few months before COVID stopped us meeting together, but it's been so fun getting to know Andy and hear his sermons each week online. First of all, I want to say that no matter if you are a person of faith or not, this is amazing information that could really change the way you move forward in your life. A few months ago, he actually did a sermon series called Patterns, and Andy talked about goal setting in that series. It was so good, and I knew I needed to have him on here to talk about goals. So that's what we're talking about today, setting goals. But here's the thing. He talks about a different focus when we set goals, and I loved it. It's a different way to think about it altogether, and you will not want to miss anything that he has to say. Andy is a husband and a dad to two teenage kiddos. He's also a bivocational pastor. He is a teacher at a small rural charter school, as well as pastoring a growing church plant in a small town. And Andy is a person that I know you will want to hear more from. In this bonus episode, I am not going to do a wrap up because I just loved everything he said. So pay close attention to all of his insights. Set some great goals and move toward becoming the person you were created to be. Let's listen in. I'm Dr. Wendy Bruton, and I used to be a therapist. Welcome to my podcast. Each week, I'll be sharing life stories, interviews, and information that I know will be of value to you and to your life and to the lives that you touch. If you need a therapist or just someone who used to be a therapist, I hope that this is a place where you feel valued, valuable, and learn to move forward from what you used to be. I'm so glad you're here. Andy, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for joining me today on my podcast. It's fun to have you. It's, this has been a long time coming. Yeah, it has been. Yeah. I did a little bit of an introduction already, but I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself and your family, where you live, what you do. You know, like you do lots of stuff. So <laughs> I want to hear it. So I have a family of four. I have a daughter who is in college um, and I have a son. Uh, my son is amazing. He's uh, going to be 16 next week. Oh, and he is, uh, he was diagnosed with autism when he was three. And so we've had to walk through a lot of what that is. Um, and that's been really cool. And actually, um, I'm sure it'll come into the conversation. It's defined a lot of who I am, actually, mm -hmm. or at least who I am as, as a, an older adult, older. Um, but yeah, so, um, and then uh, my wife and I have been married for um, 22 years now. And, and so we, we met here in Western Oregon. I've lived, I'm, I've been a Pacific Northwest boy for most of my life. Um, I was a Navy brat till I was eight. And so my dad was career Navy, uh, -huh. uh 22 years. And so it, it's, it's really interesting. Two of the most influential people in my life are my parents. I'm still very close to them. And my dad was a Navy chief. So he's got all that that entails. And my mom was a Navy mom with two real type A kids, really <laughs> high energy kids. And so she was a very strong personality in my life too. And, and so um, anyway, so I grew up with uh, almost all of the people in my whole household as type A personalities. Oh dear. And so very different. Um, and so it was, it was really cool to, um, to just uh, have that as a part of my early life uh, because our family got really close. We moved all the time, you know, lived in like nine places around the San Diego area mm -hmm. in the first eight years of my life. And then we ended up moving to the Pacific Northwest and 
other than three years where I ministered in Colorado Springs, Pacific Northwest has been my home. And the whole time I was in Colorado Springs, I was looking over the fence to get back, to be honest with you. <laughs> You're just like, I, I just want to be back home. Yeah. And I loved the ministry we were doing there. I was like, oh, I just miss, uh, I miss the Pacific Northwest. I miss those misty, rainy mornings mm. and the nights where you can smell the rain coming before it hits and just those kinds of things. Uh, I just missed all of that. Um, Colorado Springs, when it rained, like it would rain so hard, boulders would float across the street. <laughs> I was like, I don't, I don't like this kind yeah. of rain. It hurts. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so, uh, so raised in the Pacific Northwest, actually in uh, Yakima, Washington. Oh, wow. And yeah. So um, kind of always been uh, drawn to rural, smaller towns. Um, and so that's why we live in Monmouth Independence. Uh, I've pastored for almost 20 years. Oh, wow. And in the process of pastoring, I was called to start a new church. And um, I think because of my upbringing as a Navy brat, I've always loved change. My favorite kind of time in life is when everything gets turned upside down and everything is new. So you're just like loving life right now. <laughs> I kind of am. I mean, it's, it's, right? it's what I call creative tension. There's a lot of creative tension going on right now because we have to do everything different and we have to do everything new. Uh, the part I don't like about it is I'm, I'm very outgoing. I, I am an extreme extrovert actually. So that's been kind of tough um, in this, but I love newness. I love to change things up. Um, and I like change. So, um, church planting was very, <laughs> very attractive to me. Okay. And so when we were called to plant and they asked us essentially, where would you like to plant a church? Both my wife and I through prayer came to the, um, like, like came to this space in independence, Oregon, where we said, that's where we would like to, to plant. Um, it really didn't influence each other in the decision, kind of each of us came to that and came to each other and said, what about independence? Wow. And so it was, we, we kind of knew that was definitely where we were being drawn to and called to. So, um, and so that's where we're at right now. The last, uh, it's hard to believe but it's been seven years since wow. July, 2013. Uh, we have been working on a, a church plant called the Grove Community Church of the Nazarene. And uh, we started off, uh, you know, with 17 people and nothing. <laughs> so, wow. And we've seen it grow into something really cool. Um, and of course, all the credit goes to the Lord on that growth. I mean, it's, uh, um, but I, I also still recognize that he put us in place with our gifts and talents and who we are because he wanted to make that happen. And so um, it's, it's really been, awesome to be a part of it and i get to meet lovely people like you and scott and i get to meet um all sorts of people all the time through this experience that just make my life better and so it's been really cool that's and very cool. Um, yeah so kind of me in a nutshell that's that's okay so i want to hear something since you're an extrovert this might be really hard to come up with actually but i want to hear something that most people don't know about you Something that most people don't know about me. Mm -hmm. mm. Uh, I really like the Backstreet Boys. Is that? That's, okay. <laughs> that is something that most people don't know about you, I'm sure. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty much a hardcore rock and roller, but, but do you there's like the something Backstreet? about the song, Show Me the Meaning of Being uh -huh. Lonely, that just stirs Gets me. you every time. <laughs> I turn it up all the way. Kids can't stand it. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's so, awesome. Um, okay, that, that's fair. Actually, What's that? That's fair. That's a fair. Okay. Um, so on a, um, on a little more serious note, um, so even though I'm an extreme extrovert, um, I really don't like having people around absolutely all the time. And that's kind of everybody that knows me thinks, 
it's okay to just drop in on us and do all. And there are just lots of times where I just am really annoyed. by that. You're like, just stay <laughs> away from me right now. Well, <laughs> and yeah. And sometimes, uh, and the pastoral answer would be, you know, Oh, I'm so glad you stopped by. What a great thing. Um, this must be a divine appointment, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, <laughs> You know, I know you didn't pray before you came over here. Otherwise, you wouldn't. Have. <laughs> this is definitely not of the Lord. <laughs> I know that sounds bad, but no, but no <laughs> there are just. Uh, I mean, even um, Jesus had to get on a boat to get away from people. I mean, right? Well, yeah, just and saying. It's just, yeah, exactly. And but um, most people actually don't know that about me, and they just assume that it's okay to just kind of crowd in whenever. Sure. Um, and, but sometimes I even need to just get away from my family. So I'll go up in a room and be by myself. And that, I mean, well, uh, so that just kind of makes me like you more. I do want to say, I want to tell you a little bit of our story. I mean, I don't know. We haven't really got to know each other too much because right. we just started going to your church. I mean, it has been a little bit of a while, but I'll tell you being there has been very healing for us. Well, good. And I'm super thankful that you guys are there and that we've got to just get to know you and some of the people at the Grove. And if anybody is close to Independence, Oregon, then go check it out because honestly, it's it's been a very healing experience. And even if you're not close now, it's live, right? right. So yeah. it doesn't matter where you are in the world. <laughs> you can see this and we'll put the link to the YouTube channel in the show notes. So. You can, we'll have that there. I want to hear, we're going to talk today about goal setting and I'm so excited about that. That is reason why I'm here, but I want to hear, first of all, why on earth did you decide to become a pastor? Oh, <laughs> it's, it's actually really interesting. Um, I mean, you could have been a rock star. Well, I mean, you know, know about, you're going to choose. I don't know about that, but um, that would have been fun. <laughs> now you're making me question my whole right, life. Your right, your whole here. vocation. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no, uh, what was really interesting is I was raised in a Christian home, um, talked a little bit about my parents. My mom and dad are extremely influential in my life. And, you know, I, I realize how blessed I am that my story is that my mom and dad are two of my favorite people. Like, I know that's not everybody's story. Mm -hmm. And it, it breaks my heart that it's not. Um, but my mom and dad raised us in such a great Christian environment. And, and anybody who's listening who was raised in the church will understand this. I was raised in such a great Christian environment that I never had to take it personal or serious. Mm. Um, I could always just kind of float in my parents' raft. Mm -hmm. I never had to figure out how to swim in this idea on my own. And I was 18 years old when I was invited to go to a winter retreat. And honestly, that's a really long story. So I'll just leave it. <laughs> I was invited to go to a winter retreat. And it was at that winter retreat. I, I went off on my own. Again, I just needed to be away from people. And so I went off on my own and, and we we're in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, which is one of the prettiest places on the planet. Ever, anywhere. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, so I, I kneel down in the snow. This is a winter retreat. And I had two friends, two best friends growing up that all they ever did was show Jesus to the world around them. Like that was it. That's all they ever did. Um, and my prayer to God was, all right, God, if you can be as real to me as you are to Aaron and Adam, I'll tell people about you till the day I die. Uh -huh. I mean, no, no sinner's prayer, no big hoop, hoopla stuff. It was just that. Yeah. And it was in that moment that. I think I went from feeling empty to feeling full. That's the only way I can describe it. That God just answered my prayer in that moment. And so um, I went back uh, just uh, the following Wednesday. Uh, not everybody was at the retreat. And Aaron that I had just talked about in the prayer, Aaron saw me walk into church on Wednesday night and could tell just by looking at me that I was different. 
and he ran across the room and threw himself on me. And what you don't know about Aaron is that he's about six foot six and about 300 pounds. <laughs> and I was six foot and 159 pounds at right. the time. So he just crushed me and we were laughing. Um, and that all took, I mean, because people could see this radical difference in my life just by looking at me. That all took place during winter break of my senior year. Mm-hmm. So I came back to school my senior year after winter break, and I was a completely different person. So people were walking up to me in the high, at my high school going, what's wrong with you? What happened? And so I started telling them about my experience of, of asking God to transform me. And then they were coming to faith in Christ. And the next thing you know, you know, like 30 of my high school buddies were coming to youth group with me every Wednesday night. And um, I think from that experience, it was just sort of a, an easy transition. Mm-hmm. Um, I, did, I did work as a youth pastor when I was 20 years old at a small community church in Yakima, Washington. Um, I will tell you, I got burnt out doing that because um, I didn't have the spiritual disciplines that I have in place now. And so there was a time in there where I blamed God for that burnout and didn't darken the door of the church. Um, but he lovingly drew me back into uh, that sense and that calling. And so I was first called to be a pastor back when I was, you know, 18 years old. And I sort of wandered through the woods for a little bit in there. But at about 24 is when I got really serious with it. And uh, um, I was working for the phone company at the time. And, you know, they paid for my Bible degree. Did they really? Yeah. I just, I found this thing through the union where they paid for school. And of all things, Nazarene Bible College was on the list of colleges where you could actually get a four-year degree through them. And then, you know, I kept saying, you know, I'm going to quit when I'm done with this, okay. right? And they were like, oh, yeah, it's through the union, not through the company. So and so I walked out of uh, um, college with my bachelor's degree for uh, nothing. I mean, it didn't cost me anything. That's miraculous. <laughs> yeah, really miraculous. And I uh, went into full-time ministry out of, uh, out of being in, you know, working for the phone company. And um, anyway, so I, I honestly, I became a pastor because I have a passion for broken people. Mm. Um, I have a I have a passion to see people that are lost, hurting, and broken come back to who they were designed to be, um, and we were designed to be in communion with God. And so that is why I pastor. That's so, so cool. Thanks for telling that story. Yeah. Okay. We're going to talk about goals and about goal setting. And the reason that I'm having you come and talk about goals and goal setting is because I listened to one of your sermons that I thought was like, this is brilliant. And I have taught about goals. I have taught a lot about how to make them, how to set them. And everything you were saying, I was like, preach. So (laughs) I just thought it'd be fun to have you come on and chat. We could talk and then we could talk about some goals. And you have set some pretty lofty and amazing goals for yourself I can tell like cool goals for yourself that you just finished your master's right I did just finish my master's yes uh, about three weeks ago actually two weeks ago uh, do you feel so, like you're you're like out of the trauma yet because that is traumatic I just I mean I've done it and I know it's I know um actually like you had to do a, like a dissertation and everything yeah. right well I did a master's first and then I did my PhD so but yeah, it's, it's a thing. Yeah. I, um, went into this, uh, thinking I would get my PhD eventually. And, um, no, I'm just not going to do that Yeah, because the part that I hated was Mm -hmm. the research and my sister just recently got her PhD. And so much of what you do in that is the research and the final dissertation as 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 far right. as i understand it anyway i'm kind of talking from not having well it is pretty much it. yeah it is pretty much it yeah. um but i'll nice. tell you my masters when i got out of my masters i swore off reading for like 3 years i just like didn't read i wouldn't even read like stop signs i wouldn't read anything because 
<laughs> like I'm never reading again. I just didn't want to. And it took me about three years. Then I went, okay. I was laughing at people who said they were going to do it. But yeah. Just never say never is what I'm saying. Well, I don't ever say never. I, I always feel that when we say I'm not going to, God hears, I dare you. Yeah. So I'm very careful what I say when it comes to that. Yeah, I haven't but learned at this that point, lesson. Um, I have no desire to do that kind of research at this point. Um, and that was the hard part. And I think the traumatic part for me was getting that that uh, research project in at the end. Um, all the other stuff was very applicable, um, very fun. Um, I teach full-time as well as pastor. And so... Um, where you actually, teach? What's that? Where, where are you teaching? I, I teach at a, a school called Dallas Community School. Oh. Um, it's a charter school. And the the cool thing is that everything I was learning about how people learn and how to teach was applicable to everything I'm doing, not just my teaching job and not just my preaching job, but both things. And so, um, you know, I mean, uh, you when you and Scott started coming, you were probably seeing the benefit of me having learned uh, a little bit better how to communicate in a way that's teaching. Um, and, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this, but my, my goal wasn't necessarily to get a master's. My goal was more to, uh, was about, uh, who I wanted to be. So my goal was more, I want to have the type of ministry that teaches people to understand things they didn't understand before. Mm -hmm. And, um, so being a teacher was more the goal than getting my master's, but I realized that I probably need to stand on the shoulders of some people that know what they're talking about right? so that I can learn that. Right. So. That's wisdom, right? That's, that's just wisdom. Yeah. So we are going to talk about like healthy patterns today. Cause that's what one of what your sermon was on. And let's talk about that a little bit. Just okay. the first thing that you talked about that I was just so I loved you talking about was the book the highly effective teens which I have not read the highly effective teens I don't know seven habits of highly effective teens I have read the seven habits of highly effective people right right the, the one for teens uh, so I haven't been a youth pastor for a while and I read it a lot when I was a youth pastor so what I can do is really recommend the book. I don't know that I'm at a right. place where I can break down everything that it says, uh, or even remember all the seven steps that it has in there. Right. But, but, but one uh, of the things it says is that we, we become what we repeatedly do. And that's where kind of your pattern thing came in. Yeah. We, I mean, when you think about it, we, we really do good or bad, right? We become what we repeatedly do. Mm -hmm. And if we repeatedly get up in the morning and take a one mile walk, um, what are we going to become from that? If we get up in the morning and, um, you know, for me, uh, <laughs> you know, down three bowls of Fruit Loops and uh, <laughs> six cups of coffee, <laughs> what might we repeatedly be? And so it's just looking at those types of patterns and saying, okay, and I think one of the best steps that we can do when we're setting goals or looking at goals is look at our current patterns, write them down, understand what it is that you're doing, because what you repeatedly do tells you like how your brain right now is wired um, and, and what the narrative you're telling yourself, this is who I am. And so what are you repeatedly doing is really important. And so I have to ask myself that quite a bit because, you know, in, in my job as a pastor, Sunday is Sunday always comes. It doesn't matter how much you want it to hold off. Sunday will always be there. And if I'm not ready to go on Sunday, it's my fault. And so I have to sit back and, and look at the different patterns that I do in my life because my um, I have to self-regulate my jaw. I have to self-regulate my schedule. And so those repeated patterns that you do in your life are something you need to track. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how many people do that. I don't know how many people track their repeated patterns day by day, or even recognize that what you're doing is a pattern. That little thing that you're doing in your life 
over and it? over. You know, I realized that one of my patterns in my life is letting my brain become very scattered. Mm-hmm. Right? Because I just tend to be really scattered. So I will try my hardest to make a schedule or whatever. But then eventually my pattern is to go back to just letting things happen and letting my brain go wherever it wants to go and just being very scattered in my life and not being able to head in one direction. You know, Mm -hmm. that is a pattern over and over in my life. We're a lot alike in that, Wendy. Um, I love flying by the seat of my pants. I actually love it. Um, you know, as, uh, my wife might be freaking out because, um, (laughs) we're on our way there and she'll look at me and be like, did you reserve a hotel for our trip? You know, (laughs) you know, I, I did, but only because you told me, (laughs) you know, know? and so, but it's, it's just, she has to question that because she knows I'm so used to just flying, you know, and, And so, um, for me, I've had to give myself a little bit of permission to not be strategic in what I do every day. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I've had to give myself a little bit of permission to do that. I'm more strategic in who I want to be. Yeah. And so, yeah. Sure. And let's go back to a little bit about the repeatedly do, right? So if another thing that you said in there is successful people do consistently what others do occasionally, and that isn't just your original quote, because we hear this everywhere, right? Because this is all in memes everywhere and any kind of thing you want to see on Facebook, it's all out there. So successful people do consistently what others do occasionally. And that is super hard. Oh, yeah. I am super good about doing things consistently for about three days. Well, well, yeah, um, and well, and because I think most people do things consistently um, in too big a chunk. Well, they look at it in too big a chunks. Um, I'm all about um, little things, just little tiny things. My wife and I uh, recently, I, I would say, tried to <laughs> more than actually accomplished, but we're way closer to the goal than we ever would have been if we had not done this, but we wanted to minimize the stuff in our lives. Um, Mm. And one of the things is that I have, um, I I like clothes. I mean, it's just weird for a guy, but I don't like just, I'm not like a fashionista or anything like that. For me, what I like is printed t-shirts and 501 Levi's. So I'll have I don't really vary outside of that, but I'll have like a thousand of each. Right. Mm-hmm. And so for me, um, I got to a point where I was like, this is what I wear to church. This is what I wear to school. This is what I wear around the house. And I had a just pile of clothes and I could look at it and I can say, let's, I'm just going to pare this down to where I have 50 things. Right. Well, I'm just not going to, that's not going to happen. Right. But if I pick one consistent thing, uh, something that I do consistently, that's small. So if I say, I'm going to get rid of a t-shirt I haven't worn in a while, I'm going to get rid of one of those a day. Mm-hmm. And I commit to doing that for the next 30 days. I'm going to get rid of 30 t-shirts. Yeah. And that's how we did that. And so I've, I've minimized the clothing that I have. I've minimized the junk that's around the house. Because I consistently did something little. What happens, the reason that we don't often do something consistently is because we try to bite off too much. I'm going to consistently run 10 miles a day is not a goal for me. <laughs> but to say that I'm going to consistently take a, wi- a walk with my wife and my dog and not even put a, you know, how far I'm going to walk or whatever, just say I'm going to consistently do that every day, that sets me up to actually succeed. And you know, I'm sure you know this, the sense, the feeling you get when you're successful at doing something helps create a cycle where you want to do that again, because it gives you the narrative that I can do this. Mm -hmm. And the next thing you know, a year down the road, something really hard happens. And your narrative is immediately, I can do something hard. 
mm-hmm. because I can do this. Because you know, and your identity so, has changed. Yeah, your identity has changed. So it's doing something consistently. Um, and so successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. Um, successful people didn't just start off doing massive things consistently. Mm-hmm. They found little things that were consistent in their life. And they made consistency then part of that consistency, if that makes sense. Right. Being consistent became a consistent thing in their lives. And so it became um, a pattern. It became a pattern, a healthy pattern. Yeah. Um, Just like what you were talking about, about the t-shirts. One of your points in your sermon was we focus on the what without knowing the how. And so you figured out a pattern of what to do of getting rid of something every day or whatever. And it, ended up that the what, it wasn't really the what, but it was the how that mm-hmm. ended up, ended you at your goal. Yeah. It's the system, the system will make or break you. What system do you put in place to make that happen? Mm-hmm. And it's going to make or break you, uh, for, um, getting my master's degree. Um, you know, just, just having the, the, what getting a master's degree without figuring out how to do the, how I'm, I'm working two full-time jobs and I decide to get my master's degree. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I have to ask, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do it? How am I going to pay for it? (laughs) Yeah. And so um, I had to figure out how to have a system in place. So um, what time am I going to be able to dedicate to part one, part two, part three of my life? Um, And I don't count my family as like part four because they're always primary. Um, and so everything, you know, builds around that, but how am I going to juggle all of these things? And, uh, I had to have a system in place. Several, I I would imagine several systems in place, Yes, several systems in place. What, what day am I going to work on my sermon and how long am I going to, to do that? Um, you know, if I let (laughs) playing Xbox get in the way of that, um, that's my, that's on me. And, you know, and, and, at the end of the week, I can't complain about how stressed I am if I've stepped outside of those systems, yeah. you know, and things. And so um, I learned very, very quickly how the system will make or break whether or not you're going to be able to accomplish what you're looking for. And so you've got to get those systems in place. And, and I would say, Wendy, you have to pick a system that works for you. Absolutely. I could hand you a system any day of the week and you try that system and you're just going to be like, I hate Andy. Right. This doesn't work for me. This doesn't work for me. And so I wish I had some magic wand where I could say, and try this system. But the reality is I get so frustrated when people give me systems because they don't work with the way my brain works. I I have to figure out something else. And, And so you have to really figure out a system and there's a lot of trial and error with that. Yeah. And I think another thing, a part of that, I guess we're going to maybe even talk about more is that we have to understand who we are and what, I mean, before you can even get to the system or what you want or any of that stuff, you have to kind of figure out who you are and who you want to be, what kind of a person you want to be, what your character is, or who you want your character to be. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to even function in any kind of system or pattern that you try to set up. Yeah, very true. And, and leave ambiguity out of it. Um, because be specific with who you want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I ask what kind of a father do I want to be? Um, I don't just leave it at the, at, at I want to be a good dad. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's ambiguous. That's, yeah. um, that's a good goal. But, you know, uh, what about saying, I want my daughter who, I mean, she's my daughter here. I am a, I'm a, I'm a male. She's a female. I want, I want my daughter in her twenties to be able to feel safe enough to talk to me about anything. Yeah. That's, that's very different than saying, I want to be a good dad. Yes. So what conversations am I inspiring at 19 in my daughter's life? What am I doing to keep up that type of relationship with her now based on who I want to be as a dad later? And so being specific in who you want to be, I think, is really 
important in that. And that kind of helps you build those systems. And so the systems that I have in place for that are, I have conversations with her. Mm -hmm. I have mundane conversations with her. I have serious conversations with her. Um, She's going, she's in the school of theology there at at Northwest Nazarene University. And so we talk about theological issues. Um, I even press her a little bit to think outside of the norm and we have great conversations. And my hope is someday, you know, she, you know, Lord forbid she ever has to experience a broken heart, but we know she will. Sure. I want her to be able to say, dad, you know, I'm, I'm really hurting and be able to have that conversation as well as have the conversations of dad. I feel victorious and amazing and wonderful. And those conversations have a tendency to naturally take place. It's the ones where, you know, she's not as comfortable, but anyway, being more specific in our goals, even with the who we, we want to be, I think is really important um, if we're going to create systems that'll get us there. Yeah. When you were talking about that in the sermon that I listened to, I thought about shame versus guilt mm. because, you know, shame is so, it stops people. It keeps them from change. It just paralyzes folks from moving as opposed to guilt that actually sometimes can motivate change, can can bring about change, right? So, which is funny, but it does. And, but the shame piece is that we are something bad, not just we did something bad, but we are this bad thing, right? Or person. And exactly. the guilt is just, I did something wrong. I did something bad. But when we feel like I am a person who does good things, and then we do something bad, we want to change our behavior to be in line with our identity. But if we are somebody bad and we do something bad, of course, it just reinforces our identity. And so there's no reason to change. And I thought um, when you were talking about that, I'm like, of course, when we do have these identities that are what you said is distorted, right? It does keep us locked into a place of continual behavior as opposed to when we have a different identity of who we are, Mm. you know. That was one of my thoughts that it came to my well, mind when you were talking about that. Well, and distorted identity, um, it wrecks us. It really does. It just wrecks us. And it paralyzes us. Yeah. And um, there are lots of things that you can move forward from, uh, lots of things you can overcome, but you have to get that identity piece figured out. And I really, truly believe that a lot of that begins with the narrative that you use. Um, what are you telling yourself? Um, we hear all the time and I, I, I want to be careful because I understand how hard it is when somebody else speaks into your life and it affects your identity. Like I, I get that. I'm not, I'm not blind to the fact that you can hear somebody tell you you're worthless your whole life. And you believe that voice in your head. I understand that. And I get that. What I'm saying is one small step we can start is by changing the narrative we tell ourselves and not reinforce what that outside voice is saying to us. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I believe wholeheartedly, and you've heard me say this a bunch of times, is there is power in knowing God's promise. Knowing it, being able to quote it for me is really significant. And so when somebody tells me, um, you're worthless. When somebody tells me, I've had people tell me <laughs> that um, I'm, I'm clueless uh, in, in the idea of what a church is, or, or I mean, I've had people say all these kinds of stuff that, that want to hit me at my identity level. And uh, I'm able to say, you know, I know that I'm not worthless. I'm able to tell myself, I know I'm not. I've, I've seen amazing things happen. Um, I've seen people connect to the work that we're doing. And so I know there's value and there's validity there. So I'm telling myself, I'm almost telling myself stories that I've seen already take place. And then, you know, I'm, I'm never shy about telling myself, you know, you're God's kiddo, mm-hmm. you're God's kiddo. And how you love your kids pales in comparison to how much he loves you. So don't believe the narrative mm-hmm. of somebody else speaking into you. Um, but I do say that with the caveat of 
I've never been in a place where my whole life, somebody has told me I'm worthless. And so I do recognize you don't just snap your fingers and get over that. Mm-mm. No, you don't. But one of the things, you know, in, um, well, you know, I used to be a therapist, not anymore. <laughs> so, <Right. laughs> um, but uh, there is a technique in counseling that is an Illyrian technique, actually, and it's called acting as if. And sometimes we have to just act as if we believe something. We have to act as if we are a person of worth. And if we were, even if you can't believe it, because everybody's told you you're not, but if you were, how would you act? Mm. And if I was this, you know, then how would that person respond? Mm. You know, if I did have patience with my kids, how would I be responding right here? And that takes mindfulness, right? That takes this moment of a little Zen of just like settling and going, okay, taking a deep breath. Mm-hmm. How would a person who was not, you know, that didn't get activated by everybody around them, how would they respond to this and then act as if you were that? So good. So good. I, I'm going to have to steal that. That's really cool. Cause um, and I, and I think that's the process of changing the narrative that you say to yourself. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, every battle we face is won or lost in the way that we perceive it. I believe that wholeheartedly. And so when we're facing these, these identity crises, these, these moments of distorted identity to change that identity or how we look at ourselves, that always begins in our thought life. Mm-hmm. And you know, whether it's saying as if, or whether you truly believe it to me, that that's still kind of that same getting those gears moving into changing the way you think our thought life, uh, especially when it comes to goal setting, because it's so easy to feel like a failure in goal setting, right? Because Uh it's easy to not reach your goals, but your, your, your thought life is such a huge part of that. Um, you even heard me say earlier, I'm much closer to reaching that than I ever would have been if I never set that goal. Right. that's a narrative I tell myself is that, yeah, I might not have reached that in the time I wanted to reach it, but I never would have been where I'm at today had I not set that goal to begin with. And that's, that's a way of thinking about it differently. Mm-hmm. I don't think about it as I failed. I think about it as I need to extend it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, you know, so it, it's just, a yeah. Yeah. And that you did succeed in something and change, you know, like you succeeded in change, just not the same change that you had anticipated. And then that changes the way that you change your thinking changes the way that you feel. And your feelings are what is going to motivate action. And, and then your actions are going to impact your identity. It's so connected. It's which cycle are you involved in? Are you involved in a cycle that's going to reinforce the negative distorted identity. And so you have a negative distorted identity and then you end up screwing up Mm -hmm. and you think about that screw up and you just reinforce your negative identity. Mm -hmm. And then you screw up again and reinforce your negative identity. Um, It's a cycle. Mm -hmm. And so many people are stuck in that cycle where they just can't they, or at least they don't feel like they can do anything worthwhile because they don't feel that they are worthwhile. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a cycle that people are stuck in. I know people that do great things, amazing things, hard things, but don't see themselves as successful at all. Mm-hmm. And it's because they're stuck in that negative, distorted identity cycle, even though they're doing great things, yeah. they don't see it in them. Our brains are created to to really create our identity around our behavior Mm -hmm. and so i mean the way that they work i mean they're like biologically they work that way is that what we do is who we are right like that's how it we think that's the firing things that are going on in our brain that's what happens and so if we do those things then we are those things and if we are those things then everything we do has to be interpreted in our brain that way. And so that's the, where we get stuck. 
Yeah. And, and stuck it is because it's, it's hard to move forward from that. And, uh, you know, one of the illustrations that I think about when we're really stuck, um, you know, I have a, I have a, a big Jeep that I drive around and it's a lot of fun. Um, I've been growing up in Yakima. I've been on enough four wheeling trips, uh, four buy-in trips to know what it means to really get stuck. Oh yeah. Um, you, when you're really stuck, you need help. Yeah. You need and somebody to help you. You need somebody to help you. Uh, and way too often we stay in that cycle because we're, we're just not willing to get, to get out there and say, I'm stuck. Um, mm-hmm. And I think a lot of us don't reach our goals because we don't get other people involved in our goals too. Mm-hmm. And we get stuck in this cycle where we have a hard time sometimes even setting future goals. Um, and, and, and it's, aim, you know, and so we're just aimless. We're just hoping life will come at us. And, and quite, quite frankly, <laughs> life will come at you. <laughs> mm-hmm. None of us know where we're going to be a week from now. None of us know what's going to happen a week from now, where the way we're living right now is a surprise to us. The way we're living right now is like, what happened here? Right. Mm-hmm. And so life is going to come at you. And if you're just sitting there and you're stuck, how do you like take life in stride? Uh-huh. Instead, you just end up getting dug deeper in. Absolutely. Um, we need help. Um, and so, I, you know, and I would say to your listeners, don't most of the time someone comes to me for counseling, they should have come months ago mm-hmm. to talk to me. And that that's just something that I would say is, you know, and, and, and you know, this, you don't have to go see your pastor. You don't have to go see a therapist. Oftentimes you just need to have coffee with a friend, Mm -hmm. but reach out and and engage and be vulnerable, be vulnerable, be open. Yeah. 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 I mean, really being vulnerable and getting some wisdom back to you, getting some validation back and Mm -hmm. empathy back. That is like, the wonderful cure-all for shame oftentimes. Absolutely. And, and, uh, and that cycle, you know, what, what we were talking about, that's where that shame really sets in. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, guilt is like you said, it's a great motivator. (laughs) I really think guilt is of God. (laughs) Really? It really does help us to say, um, I, I like to give the illustration of guilt is a, uh, guilt is like the little dash lights in your car. You know, the dash light comes on, you check the manual, you figure out why the dash light is on, you address the issue and you move forward. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, shame is, you know, when the wheels come off, <laughs> and you're right. just stuck there. Um, but the dash light is brilliant. And guilt is kind of like that dash light where it's like, okay, there, I'm feeling this way because something's off and I need to get that fixed. It's not At- supposed to be like this. Right. And yep. yeah. And shame is like, I don't know, it's like getting into a car that doesn't have an engine and going, well, of course, I'm not going anywhere because I'm not supposed to. It's yeah, it's it's more the uh, <laughs> this car is crappy as opposed right. to this car can be fixed. It can be right? fixed. Yeah, it's not yeah. supposed to work like this. Yeah. Right. yeah. And yeah. So, well, I'm not sure anybody ever heard a goal talk like that, but I love that. That was, that's so helpful. I think getting our minds around what so many times when we, so many times when we say we want to set goals, we just do this, what, and what do we have to do and make a list on some side of a paper that says, these are all the things that I need to accomplish in my life or even in the day, but having a different perspective of looking on you know, who do I want to be? How do I want to do this rather than just the what and the to-do list? I think it's going to yeah. be very helpful for people. Well, and I think the to-do list oftentimes comes, but it's not the first thing you do. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So if I set a goal and it's based on the, on the how and the who, then I know the what yeah. and I'm able to figure out the what. But I, and I think um, just exactly what you were saying too often we start with the what we start with the 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 list and the column and 
you know, there might be people out there that live strategically enough that that works for them. I haven't, I don't know that I've met anyone that's like that, but most people just, I mean, life just comes at you. You can't strategize what's going to happen in life. You know, I'm writing an article right now, actually, and in the middle of it. And I was, I was just writing yesterday about, it's really about telling our story and how do we tell our story and how do we create parts of our story? And I did this, uh, I started this, you know, like once upon a time kind of thing. And I was reading to my, my granddaughter, who's two, almost mm-hmm. three. So I said, uh, once upon a time, and I'm reading this book and, uh, she said, she said, they live happy after that's what she said. They live happy after and, you know, happily ever after. Right. And I was like, yeah, we wish we could get to that. We wish we could just do once upon a time and they lived happily ever after. And we don't have to live in the middle with the villains and the that we have the, the big pumpkin. Like everything is just we have all of these villains and these wicked stepmothers and we have these hard, awful things that happen to us that are in the middle of our story mm. that we aren't at this happily ever after yet, you know? And I was talking in this article about how life is the co-author of our story. That lots of times that we, you know, out there in the coaching world or whatever, like you're the author of your story. And which I would say is not true, but we certainly are a main character in our story. And as a co-author of our story, we get to decide how we, as the main character, respond to the writing of life, who is the other, you know, the other author. Absolutely. And, and we're responding out of that. We get to decide that. We get to make those you know, those chapters and the the response of that, we get to write that. And I think that's where we have, you know, our, our goals sometimes come from how we're going to respond to the things that have come to us. It's not necessarily like, oh, I'm going to get to this place in life. And then life happens. Yeah, we have to decide how we respond. I think when our goals are set on on who we want, who we want to be, that all of the villains and everything that pop up in our story then become character development. Yeah. And they begin to, uh, the way we respond to those villains begin to define who we are and begin to um, develop uh, perseverance, develop character, uh, create character in us. And also help us to know how we're going to respond to things that happen in the future. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I think it's really cool to think of it as, you know, I might be the one developing my character, but I'm not the one writing the background of the plot. And, you know, Mm -hmm. that's important. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, I know we're, taking some time here. So thank you very, very much for joining me today on this little bonus episode. So I have a few questions. First of all, how can people connect with you? They want to connect with you. If people want to connect with me, they can use my email. I don't know if you want me to say it on here. I can just put it in the the show notes. Mm -hmm. So um, feel free to email me. Uh, I would love to connect uh, with anybody through email. I think that would be the best way to do that. We we connected over Facebook. I will tell you, that's like a rare thing for me. We've been so on purpose about doing our live feed and everything. I'm on Facebook a hundred times more than I normally am right now. And so usually that's not a great way to connect with me. Um, right now, Facebook's fine because I'm, I'm on it all the time because of our live feed. But um, that's uh, I, I do Instagram. My Instagram is as Reverend Lord Vader. Okay. Um, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it's just I've been a huge Star Wars fan my whole life. Nice. Um, and then, uh, uh, but yeah, email is the best way to connect with me. And um, what? And ab- then, uh, what about the Grove? Uh, obviously, going to yeah, you can come and see me down at uh, our coffee house is open most mornings. 
I, I shy away from giving any hours right now just because we haven't opened yet. But in the um, we're open most mornings, and uh, and then I'm there a couple of evenings a week. It used to be where I got my homework done, but but what about the website? Anybody should they go to so, website? Should go to um, YouTube? Yeah, How uh, should it's we? It's just the Grove Community dot Church. Okay, and people can connect with us there. Um, in fact, you can find the whole series on patterns there. Um, it was it was three yep. messages that we talked about patterns. Um, the first one was about the goals, and then um, and then talking about starting something and stopping something were the other the other two. Yep. And so, um, um, yeah, if people are really wanting to kind of dig into looking at goals a different way, especially the first one in that, they could see it there. And then we have Facebook is just facebook.com backwards slash Grove community. Great. So, Good. Uh, those are great ways to be able to connect with us. Good. Okay. I'm going to ask you the last three questions. I ask everybody on my podcast. Uh, the first one, a pivotal event that changed you. <laughs> uh, a pivotal event that changed me was uh, I, I tried to live on my own in Yakima, Washington after my dad moved. Uh, my mom and dad moved and um, I couldn't make it on my own and had to move back in with my parents. I was 20, 24 and ended up moving to Salem. Um, that ended up being extremely pivotal in my life. Um, the pastoral answer would usually be the day I got saved. Yeah. But um, for me, this was uh, a life trajectory changing move for me. Great. Um, and moving moving from Yakima to Salem opened up a whole new area of life that uh, would have never happened had I, I mean, I don't know this for sure, but would have never happened had I stayed in Yakima. Did it feel like a failure at the time? I don't remember it feeling like a failure. Okay, what good. I remember it looking like for me, and again, this is just kind of, the, I love change. I love something new. For me, it was almost like just um, hiking up my shorts and saying, it's time for a reset button. Nice. And I remember walking into it excited about it. Well, I love that. Um, and I moved down in August, met Carol, my wife, in October, you know, and just met friends through her. But that was just pivotal for me. And actually living with my mom and dad through that time of right after I got burnt by burnout at a church. You know, all through those times, living with that support of my mom and dad helped me to where I didn't go too far off the deep end, I think, too. Yeah, that's good. So that, that was a real pivotal moment. Just just actually, I, even looking back, I still feel like that was kind of a reset button for me. That's and cool. I was able to, not that the experiences that happened in life before that time didn't matter, <laughs> And, you know, and they're pivotal in who I am, but that was a, a very big change in my life. And so uh, one of the reasons I'm still in Oregon today, actually, what? Um, is because of, of that and my connection to, um, to Oregon at that time. So, yeah. What? Okay. A person who changed you. There was a, a man, uh, it was a youth pastor of mine named Tom Harmon and uh, Tommy, uh, he, he goes by Thomas now. It's really cool. He, he went through this transformation of it's more about us than me. And so from Tommy to Thomas, Thomas, but I knew him as Tommy, um, growing up and anyway, so he was my youth pastor growing up. And I remember it was the very first time that I've had ever seen anybody actually make a commitment to God, like right there in front of my eyes. Um, and, uh, his, passion and his desire for people just really transformed me. I didn't want anything to do with God. I was like 17 years old, didn't want anything to do with God at all. And I would walk out of work and he'd be sitting on the bumper of my car, just had a hamburger for me, would sit down, have a Coke with me, would not push church on me, would just get to know me. I just says, Hey, I miss you at youth group. I know you haven't been there for a while and I really want to get to know you. And he was genuine. And he taught me what it meant to have a personal passion for people as opposed to being a part of an organization that's supposed to have passion for people. Oh, and um, it really changed my perspective on what it meant to really love others. 
And um, so, yeah, he was very pivotal. That's good. That's a cool story. Okay. The last one is a book that changed you. Uh, there's a book called Kazon. Kazon. <laughs> that's, that's that's a Hebrew word. Um, and it's uh, it was written by an author, Craig Grishel. It's C-H-A-Z-O-W-N. Okay. Um, and it means vision. And it it really helped me understand what it meant to live my life with a vision for who I'm supposed to be. It's a great book. And it's one that I have a lot of people read when they're kind of in the middle of identity crisis. <laughs> so really, really great book and uh, was pivotal in my understanding of how to, you know, how, how to set goals based on a vision for who you want to be. I like that. Thank you for sharing yeah, that. Really yeah. I'm going to have to get it. I'll put it in my cart today. And it's an easy read too. So um, of course I say that somebody might struggle through it and be like, that guy's a jerk, but <laughs> that's okay. I'm going to read it. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Andy, for oh, being here. It's my pleasure. I'm so glad I, I got to be on here and spend time with you. It's been a while. So. It was really fun. It was fun to yeah. get to get to chat a little bit. So, yeah. all right. I hope you have a really great day and we will talk soon. All right. Thanks, Wendy. I'm so glad you joined us. Make sure to subscribe so you can get all the episodes and you can help support our podcast by clicking the support button in the show notes or going to our website, essentiallybetterlife.com. Follow me on social at Essentially Better Life and check out my website for all kinds of information on business and personal coaching, my book, and even some great stuff on essential oils. Thanks for listening. Blessings and be well, my friends.